Clap, clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands podcast, hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What is going on, everybody? This is the Clap Your Hands podcast, brought to you by Odyssey Sports, brought to you by Sports Radio 94 WIP. And this 1-0 series lead over the Celtics is brought to you by James Harden. Oh, my God. What a game, Kyle. That was unbelievable. I mean, at one point, so I think it was 99-96 or something like that, the Sixers were minus 600 to win that game. All game, it felt like they were going to lose. My hair is not even done. I'm still doing the pod. <laughs> what a night, man. What a night. It was one, one thing before I'll let you go. That was the game where all of a sudden it feels different. Like go like Embiid's ruled out, and 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 I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be the same it is every year. That feeling, right? Embiid's not playing. They fall behind early. They're in Boston, and it's everything we worried about all year, all at once. Like watching it on TV, I'm thinking this is exactly what I tried to fight off all year. And even in that game, it felt like it. I can't believe they won that game, and I cannot believe James Harden did that. I just want to say, man. All you fucking losers all year <laughs> when I told you this team was resilient and I explained why the more athletes, PJ Tucker, DeAnthony Melton, Paul Reed, all these guys that they have James Harden, who's not a complete basket case like Ben Simmons is. I almost use a different word there. Oh, right? I got your shot at self, Ben in there. I, I self-censored yeah. myself. All these people said, oh, Joel's hurt. Woe is me. The sky is falling. Like, I'm the one who's supposed to be the the serious and reasonable reporter. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've had to be like the psychologist for the same base <laughs> all year. Well, I'll take blame for that. I'm an emotional guy. They are now 13 and five without Joel Embiid. They just won their first game one on the road in the playoffs in like several decades. I don't know what else more people need to see. Like this team, when they've been put in situations where their backs against the wall, they respond. They have yeah. enough guys. Like, look, we could even go within the game tonight. Tyrese Maxey, five fouls. Looks like he's done in the game playing Matador defense at one point. Scores a huge bucket through Marcus Smart, M1. Then gets the steal on a terrible Malcolm Brogdon pass. Puts them ahead with a layup. Like, all kinds of things yeah. go wrong for this team. But honestly, obviously, we're burying the lead here. The biggest story of the game, the biggest story of the night, that is Houston James Harden. Like, we've talked a lot this year about, you know, he's sort of there and there were flashes of it and this. This was James Harden fucking kicking Al Horford's <laughs> ass for four quarters. They tried to play drop coverage against James Harden, and he made three after three after three after three after three. Like, he just canned so. him over this guy. And then they decide to switch against them finally on the final most important possession of the game. Yep. And James is in such a rhythm at this point. He just hits it right over this guy's head. Like, I can only imagine how Sixers fans feel right now, having watched <laughs> Horford torture this team for years, torture this team, including when he was on the team. And then James just, like, used him as a speed bag, essentially, the entire night. Like, mm -hmm. what a performance from James Harden. That is, that's the reason they traded for him. It's why Daryl Morey has worn shirts that say, like, James Harden is my personal Jesus and all this other <laughs> ridiculous shit. Like it's all because of a game like that, that flips the series. Now you, you have stolen home court advantage. The series is yours to go out there and win it. 
So a couple of things. First, shout out to everybody watching live. We got all types of people in the comments. Really appreciate it. Uh, shout out to Kali Wolf. Shout out to Christopher. Shout out to mid-major Matt, who's yelling B-ball Paul. I, you know, <laughs> a, a couple of things. One, I'm so happy for Sixers fans tonight. Like, to get that win. Like, this is so many years of frustration building up. And look, they didn't win the series. It feels like I'm celebrating like they did. I know they didn't. <laughs> but God, man, after Embiid is ruled out, to, to have to have them win that game, it's just unbelievable. So the other thing, too, is you remember when um, Brett Brown said after a big Jimmy Butler game, that wasn't Jimmy, that was James Butler at, at, at the podium. That wasn't James Harden. That was Uno. Like that, that guy was unbelievable. <laughs> like that's the dude that, that Harden's been saying he is all year. And what I really liked about it, and you tweeted this early in the game, and I think it's so true. Look, he obviously came out shooting it really well, which clearly I think let his motivation get going. He was really feeling it and all those things. But so often last year, especially against Miami, he looked like a player that had no interest in attacking the basket, that had no interest in stepping up with Embiid being out. And tonight, even when there was a bit of a stretch where he wasn't playing great, I mean, he was really good almost the entire game. But even through the stretches where it was frustrating or he didn't get calls or anything, he kept it going and he kept going to the basket. I think as good as he played, his mentality tonight, like that's why you trade for him. That's why you go out and trade for Harden so that in these moments when you don't have Embiid, you have somebody that can step up that's been in these spots and say, I'm going to win us this game. Yeah, he only shot four free throws tonight. There was obviously a yeah. big foul disparity in that game, I believe. Oh, it ended up end of the game. The free throws were not <laughs> that big of a gap. There was like no free throws. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what a bizarre game on that front. But I just, I loved seeing that from Harden. Like, wash away all the made threes. Obviously, that's the biggest reason they won. Yeah. I just, when he plays downhill, that one layup where he probably could have dunked it, honestly. The one mm -hmm. layup where he was like at the rim. I thought he that's was. What I wanna, it, yeah. That's what I want to see from him. Like, that's the type of thing we've been talking about all year, right? Where James can go up like that. I know he's more susceptible to injury and might get fouled harder in a position like that. But like, it's not like he's exploding and getting above right. the, the square on the backboard. Like, that's it's very possible for him to do that. And I know he's not always going to have a week off leading into a game. He's not always going to get to have a little trip to Vegas to rest and recharge. And, you know, that <laughs> hey, storyline really got honestly. shot the shit after that game. Yeah. Um, but look, that's the mentality he has to play with. I don't want to see the, the flailing and all the other stuff. Like, go downhill, force the numbers advantage. You're going to get open shots for your teammates. You're going to get opportunities to score at the rim. And, okay, I just saw this pop up. Um, I'm talking about the Horford defense of Harden. Yeah on switches Harden running pick and roll at Al Horford tonight. There's 16 direct picks. They scored 28 points on those. That's wow. 1.75 points per possession, which is like astronomical. You yeah. score 1.75 points per possession in a game. You're obviously going to score like yeah. a record breaking amount of points. You're going to be a top 75 player of all time. If you, uh, well, if you score at that, you're going to be the top one player of all time. If you score like that. No, but uh, sorry, continue. But listen, all I'm saying is what we saw tonight. Yeah. He's not going to always make shots like that, but the way he was playing, getting downhill, going to the basket, going towards the rim. That's the part that can carry over. You can play like that. If you're James Harden, with Embiid, without Embiid, bench units, starters, whatever it is. I know that he's playing to set guys up. He's not always going to be hunting a shot like this, but 
that's the thing that to me is more important than anything tonight, honestly. Yeah. So my adrenaline's starting to come down a little bit. So we can start <laughs> to maybe actually uh, get into it. But no, I mean, I thought there was one play when you think about him tonight. And obviously it was a three-pointers. But leading up into this series and against the Nets, a big part of our discussion was, why is he missing these layups? And is he playing well and missing layups? Or is he playing you know, well enough, but the concern is that he's missing all these layups? Tonight there was a moment, and it might actually be the the almost dunk you're talking about, but I don't think it was, where he really shook uh, Jalen Brown at the top of the key and like just got by him cleanly. And he he was able get, to get to the basket pretty much all game. And now he's done it. We talked about it all season when projecting this series, talking about what, what might happen also in the preview pod for this series. But against the Nets, the Nets, the one thing we were concerned about was, will he be able to get past the long defenders? Mikel Bridges, Claxton when he was on him on the perimeter. And then against Boston, it was Tatum, Marcus Smart, not long, but obviously a great defender. Jalen Brown, like they had guys that you would think that could really, if they got up on Harden, he wouldn't be able to get past. It's now been five games of him pretty much getting to the basket whenever he wants. And not a massive sample size, but I think to what he talked about, um, you know, talking about his Achilles and saying he feels he feels healthier than ever and he feels good to go. And it looks like that. I mean, the shooting is what it is. He's been a high percentage three-point shooter all year. He did it in games against the Nets. But tonight, again, getting to the basket, he just looks so much healthier and so much more able to dominate than he, than he did last year, frankly. Yeah, and... Look, I have talked a lot about on this podcast about, you know, this is a James Harden legacy playoff run, right? Like we can talk about Embiid and he's probably about to win the MVP tomorrow night. It'll be announced and I'll probably get it on Friday. It's a lot on him in these playoffs, a lot on Doc Rivers, but like James Harden, man, you're getting towards the end of your, I mean, he's certainly past his peak, but this is the end or toward the end of him being like a real impact guy. You only yeah. have so many of these chances. And he played like a guy who understood that and relished that opportunity to go out and prove something tonight. And, you know, he hasn't always done that. Like, he has had big games in the playoffs, but been a lot of times that he just looks a little overwhelmed. Like, he's thinking too much about that stuff. And, you know, it almost is it, – it's similar to how Doc people like to joke. You know, you give him a – an undermanned team, all of a sudden he's Phil Jackson, Red Auerbach, whoever you want to <laughs> I believe Popovich, wrote an article about that. <laughs> whoever you want to compare him to. Um, but James Harden now with like there wasn't real pressure on them in this game without Joel Embiid. And he came out and he took yeah. advantage of that. And all all credit to him. That was that's the best game he has played for the Sixers, and I don't think it's even close. Oh, I mean, considering the stage and the opponent, I, I don't think it's close at all. I mean, I'd have to go through all of his playoff games. I'm sure again, when he was with Houston, there was a lot of games, big games like this. But when you talk about a guy that has a, a, a reputation for coming up small in big moments, for not being great in the playoffs, this has to be one of his best playoff performances, considering the Sixers, the Celtics, the rivalry, the situation, no Embiid. Again, I'm sure he's had great games, but this is certainly has to be right up there with some of his uh, some of his best games without question. But the other thing outside of Harden, too, we want to talk big picture. You had said it all year, and it's really what kept me motivated throughout this game. They just find ways to win. You tweeted this, and you said, they've played hard all year. Why would they stop now? And it's so true. Throughout the entire game, I'm checking the betting market, being like, they're minus 600. They're minus 400. They're, they're minus nine. In, or Sorry, they're... Uh, 
the Celtics were minus, you know, nine, 600, minus 400. The Celtics. How much money did you win on this game? Because I feel like the betting odds have come up quite a bit already. I wish I would have. I'm too afraid to bet in general on these things. But um, I'm checking it throughout the game and trying to say to myself, man, nobody thinks they're going to win this game. And that's really how it felt. But there were so many times throughout this game where a Horford would miss a three or Tatum would miss a layup or just little things where in past years, those things don't go their way. And I thought so many role players stepped up tonight. Melton early on in the game, you know, he didn't have as good of a second half, but early on when the defense was struggling and everyone's like, man, the Sixers defense has been terrible. And we'll talk about that in a second. But early on when, when the defense was struggling, Melton really, he would, would he have 18 points, 16 points in the first half. He was unbelievable. Paul Reed hit big free throws. PJ Tucker got a big offensive rebound. I mean, this was the night where what you've been saying all year in terms of they're a deeper team, they find ways to win games. All of that was on display tonight. Paul Reed went four of four at the free throw line in the final 90 seconds of that game. Like think about unbelievable. that is by far the biggest moment of Paul Reed's basketball life, right? Yeah never played in a game and been in that important of a game, even in the final, like 10 minutes of it, really like last year he played in playoff games and second round games, but nobody was looking to him in a big moment. Right. And so for Paul in that moment to, he makes the first two that you keep the game within one point. Then you make the two clinching free throws that ensure like, no matter what Boston does, even if Marcus smart or whoever else, it's a desperation three. It doesn't matter. The game's over. You've won the game. So Paul in that spot was great. And honestly, I thought it, his performance mirrored uh, game four against Brooklyn, where I thought Paul was out of sorts in that first half. Yeah. Like they all were on defense, obviously. It's not all his fault. He's the young and experienced guy. But you can see the difference in rim protection between him and Joel Embiid, to put it lightly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when he I think settles the, into the that player of the year argument for Embiid got some uh, <laughs> got some momentum tonight. But he settles into that game, right? And he starts to make an impact on the boards. He scores a couple points early in the half, protects the rim, does some Paul Reed nitty gritty type work, and yeah, that's that's why you have guys like that on the team. You're not always going to like have a great scoring effort, right? Like not every guy's going to have it going. Even Tyrese Maxey, who we talked about earlier in the podcast, like. He didn't have a great night, but he no. had enough moments and he had enough composure in the moments that mattered that he was able to say, look, I'm eight for 21 at some point. He finishes 10 for 24 for the game in the playoffs. Like the reason that people don't care that Kobe Bryant went six for 24 in a game seven is because they won the game because yeah. he had like a million rebounds in that game. And playoff basketball is not oh, you, you're going to shoot 55% from the field. You're going to hit your season averages. It's you have to win by any means possible. And that's why I've all year with this team, because I've seen them win in so many ways with so mm-hmm. many different guys, you say, that's the stuff that translates to the playoffs. It's not Joel scoring 33 points a game. It's yep. not James leading the league in assists. It's PJ beating three guys to an offensive rebound. It's somebody hitting a big shot after not touching the ball for five minutes. And game after game, week after week, month after month, they have built up these moments and built up this, you know, this basketball character that they have as a group now. And they like they've talked about it. They've been confident in themselves. And now I think people are going to see this is a real series. Like yeah. even if Joel is not 
fully whole, they have the horses to run with these guys. And we'll get into it a little bit, but then it raises it raises interesting discussions about how hard do you push Joel for uh, for game two. But but before we get into you know briefly the Embiid stuff, um, the other Maxi thing I thought from tonight was I thought in some ways he was a bit of a poster child for the entire game because there would be two three possessions or two three shots where he would miss. They were kind of reckless. I was getting frustrated with him for constantly taking that like fade away leap over three pointer when it felt like he didn't have to do it. But then every time I was just about to turn on him or just about to say, man, this get him out the game, he'd make a layup or he'd get a steal. I thought he was pretty good on the defensive end at the end. He was certainly at the beginning not great. But just a lot of like heads up moments. His and one obviously ended up being huge. It looked like it might get reversed. I thought it was the right call that, that they ended up sticking with. But a very underrated heads up play by him where at the end of the game, the Celtics throw it away. The shot clock either just expired or was, you know, 0.1 seconds from expiring. And everyone on the court stops, but he keeps going. And it would have been easy to pick that ball up or, you know, who knows what happens. Maybe they call a travel on him or, you know, it's their ball and they don't get that easy layup. So I thought there was a super heads up play by Maxi, who, again, young player, was not playing well. But I do respect the fact he kept shooting. He didn't get discouraged by himself. And at the end of the game, he was very much mentally there and made some big plays. Do we want to talk about Doc Rivers a little bit as the uh, the foremost Doc Rivers podcast in uh, oh, Sixers mean, world? Well, you know, let me say my group chat I'm in was not happy with Doc Rivers throughout the game, but we 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 can get into him if you want now. Look, I think he had some decisions that we'll look back and maybe question a little bit. Whether you play George Niang at all in this series is is sort of the the ongoing question for me. Playing small was problematic at times for these guys. But I thought every time that it felt like they needed a timeout to stabilize things, Doc calls the timeout. I know I always say timeouts timeouts are overrated, but timeouts. But a lot of stabilizing timeouts in that game never let the game get out of reach, even when Boston felt like they were going on runs. I thought he did a good job of managing the game in terms of mixing up coverages. And, you know, they played zone and they messed Boston up with zone, but. I didn't think they sat in it too long. They didn't let Boston get really comfortable against it. And they, you know, they mixed and matched there. They moved different guys around the zone. You know, Jalen McDaniels doesn't play well in that game, so he didn't play a lot. But Doc sort of moved him around as a chess piece within that zone at times. So mm-hmm. and that's an interesting thing. And look, like again, trusting a guy like Paul Reed. Paul Reed played 37 minutes in that game. Paul yeah. Reed struggled to beat out DeAndre Jordan, who is like only in the NBA for vibes for the last three <laughs> did, or four years now. Did Montrezl Harrell even play? No. Was there any they, backup they, center? Deadman didn't no. play either, did he? Yeah. They so played it was only eight guys. Wow. They played, Melton played 25 minutes, Niang played 13, McDaniels played 11. They played eight guys, and that was all they had tonight. That was all, like, honestly, the only other guy, two guys you might think about playing there, Shake Milton, but he wasn't helping the defense right. tonight, and the offense was good enough. And D house over Niang is an interesting one moving forward. But look, I I think, again, it's proof of clearly Doc is at the very least. Doc is able to instill the message in these guys that Joel being out is not an excuse for us to lose this game. Mm -hmm. We can point at the history and say the Sixers have not won a game one in round two for however many years can say historically they've been bad without Joel. We can say the Celtics have won 14 out of 21 playoff series against this 
this franchise. Don't kill the vibe tonight, Kyle. Keep it. Uh, None keep of that it. shit matters. <laughs> like yeah. I don't care. I I do not care what happens when Ben Simmons is on the team in 2018, and it's yeah. Marco Bellinelli and Ursan Ilyasova. I don't. I especially don't care what happened in the fucking bubble in Disney World in 2020 <laughs> when Al Horford is on the Sixers and Josh Richardson and Tobias Harris are the other two main guys on the team. Like. That does not tell us anything about this team and yeah. this matchup and this year. And so as far as how this team is being handled by Doc, being set up by Daryl, and handled by the players, like everybody all year, it's never been, we're going to make excuses. We lost because of this. We lost because of that. It's We got to improve ourselves. We're not blaming the refs. We're not saying we got like one schedule loss out of Doc's mouth, maybe in – early in the year, maybe a second one. Right. But aside from that, no excuse making from this group, no pity parties. And that to me is what is on display in that game is that yeah. this group believes in themselves. And some of that is a credit to the coach. So I think that this team does, like we can get into a philosophical discussion about how much coaches matter and how much they impact things. But there's no question that coaches that people like get credited for the things that this Sixers team does. They make comebacks. They play really hard. They win when their star isn't there. So if you don't think coaches matter, fine. But ultimately, the things that great coaches do, this Sixers team does. But let me ask you this. What would you think of the defense in the first half in terms of being be, – well, obviously it was bad. But being – Horrendous. That's yes, what I it think. Was very bad. <laughs> but the, the defense in the first half. Did you think that was Doc not playing zone enough? Like, why did you think they struggled? Because I do think a common criticism of Doc in this game will be the defense was really bad in the first half. So I'm curious how you, I know you haven't had a chance to rewatch it and it can be hard live, but curious where you fall on that in terms of a blame pie chart for Doc. Well, listen, I'm never going to be the guy who says to play more zone because I absolutely hate watching it and I think it's for mm -hmm. cowards, but <laughs> you can't argue that it helped change this game and that it, it certainly worked for them there. Um, look, I think some of it you can just see that this is a team that structurally is built around Joel Embiid, right? Like they yeah. have a lot of guys, you know, except for PJ, they have a lot of guys who are either iffy or bad defenders. And they're there to make life easier on offense for Joel. They space the floor. They do everything around Joel there. And Joel is their backstop. He's their savior on the back end. And, you know, look, I think Paul Reed is probably a better defensive player than people think in terms of on switches. Like, I think tonight you could see yeah. they freely switched him across perimeter players. And I, I, I thought he held up pretty well against, yeah. you know, guards and wings for Boston. But – when he gets put in those positions where it's a 2v1 and there's a guy coming down the lane, a driver like a Tatum, like a Brown, and he's got to play that middle ground where he shows something to a Tatum, but he doesn't stray far enough from you know Horford or Robert Williams or whoever it is that they're going to get an open layup or dunk. That's what Joel is really good at. Number one, he's just bigger. So even if he's in the same spot, his wingspan, I'm waving my arm for people like listening it. to this tomorrow. Yeah. His wingspan just makes it harder to get past him. And then if the pass gets past him, if the guy decides to drop it off, Joel's recovery speed and that length allows him to block guys at the rim that like Paul is never going to be able to block those guys. So yeah. that's part of the problem is like Paul is just his strength as a defender is not in that cat and mouse middle ground 
feel out the the driver type of game. His strength is switching everything. And that requires, you know, they have to rotate through. They have to, the guy who's the low man has to slide in and they just have to fly around the floor. And that's where the limitations of, you know, James Harden as an off-ball guy, Tyrese Maxey as a defender, all that stuff bubbles up. And then there's, beyond that, their transition defense just sucked. Like Boston (laughs) ran and ran and ran when they got stops in that first half. Like Sixers offense was plenty good, but it felt like every single miss Boston was just off to the races. Jalen Brown got a bunch of easy ones. Tatum got some easy ones. Robert Williams gets some easy ones. And look, I think that I want to say Boston had 26 points in the paint in the it first was, quarter. I would say it was something like 34 to 10 at one point in, in, point, in points in the paint. Yeah. And I think 26 came in the first quarter yeah. alone, which is just unfathomable. So look, they're not going to be able to protect the rim the same way they will with Joel Embiid. Now, Joel sitting and drop and that style of defense against Boston and Al Horford has its own problems that come with it, but you are not going to have the type of layup line that Boston had tonight. But look, zone defense helped shift the tide and help change that game. Paul Reed settling in and figuring out his place helped settle the game. Then they just, you know, they played better in terms of getting up in the guy's chests and things like that. But a lot of that stuff that I'm going to have to catch on the rewatch tonight. So the other thing I think stood out is one of my concerns all year about the Celtics, but definitely, you know, as the season went on and you saw the Celtics were winning is I was a little worried that in the big moments, the Sixers wouldn't be the tougher team. They wouldn't be the one that, you know, is diving for the loose ball or would get the rebound. And they did give up two really bad offensive rebounds. So I'm not completely, you know, saying that they dominated in that regard. But this was a mentally tough win by the Sixers. And the the Celtics are at home. Maybe they took them lightly. Who knows? But there were so many moments in this game where it felt like they could have, like past teams would have given up. And against a Celtics team that just went to the finals, that's playoff tested, that has won a lot of these type of games, I thought it was impressive that the Sixers like match their intensity, if not beat it in terms of just those big moments in the end and just coming through it and making big plays when it counts. I'm curious from your perspective, how much can this be something they build on? Because there's, you know, probably no Embiid game two. We can talk about it. But ultimately, you, you you mentioned it a few minutes ago. This team doesn't often get momentum in the second round, right? They fall to they fall behind 2-0 to the Heat. They fell behind 1-0 to the Hawks. I don't remember in the Raptors series that they lost on the Kawhi shot, how that ended up going. It was 1-1. They, uh, they didn't play that well in game one of that series. And then Jimmy had an awesome game two, and they mm-hmm. won by like, want to say like five to eight points, something like that. Some so, close game, but not a won't. great, not a great start to that series either. Either. I'm curious, you know, as someone that's around the team all the time that knows them, does this feel like it can be the momentum builder heading into the rest of the series? I mean, sure. Like I just want to, I'll stick on Boston for a quick second. You brought up the, the mental side of it. Mm-hmm. it. It's something I've tried to stress to you and to our listeners is that, Boston has a lot of the same problems that people think the Sixers have in terms of not taking competition seriously and, you know, mental woes and things like that. And look, there are a lot of very good teams that go through that. Denver was a great example late in the season. They completely took their foot off the gas and and they were bad. And honestly, I said this prior to the series. I don't think the Celtics have a coaching advantage in this series. Like, yeah, I, I don't think Missoula is that good? Like he's not, 
he's not a guy who is like a constant dabbler. He has the um he has some of the traits of a good coach. Like certainly they're a top five team on both ends. And so he has set them up generally to be a very good team. But in terms of the moment to moment X's and O's adjustments, lineup changes, things like that, I don't think he's shown this year that he's like, look, this is his first year as an NBA head coach. He's got to mm-hmm. go through the the reps in the playoffs, just like all the players do. When we talk about these guys have to haven't been in the big moments before. So that's a plot line that'll go for the rest of the series. Uh, in terms well, we're, of the, we're super quick on the coaching, because you said yeah. this a bunch, both on the pod and in text messages that they do not really have a, a five man lineup that they can trust at the end of games or that they've consistently used. One thing I I do think stood out tonight because the Sixers all year have had a very clear pecking order, Embiid, Harden, Maxi, right? And you saw it tonight, even with Embiid out. Harden was the guy, and then Maxi was the guy, and then Toby had an increased role. I do think watching the Celtics tonight, they don't have that. Like sometimes it's Tatum, sometimes it's Brown. Marcus Smart was getting some shots up. So while they might have a deeper roster potentially, I think that the way the Sixers roster is structured help them a lot in crunch time. And you could see why they are one of the better crunch time teams. Even if they don't have the talent per se that Boston has, they know what they're doing. They know who's, who, who is where, right? Harden, Maxi, Toby, Harden, Maxi, Toby. That was clear tonight. And I didn't think it was as clear when the Celtics had the ball. Well, I would say that the hierarchy is clear and Jason Tatum is the guy. The problem is that when Jason Tatum is in heat check, pull up jumper mode, Mm-hmm. That a lot of times other team or other guys on the team can get lost. And that's why throughout the regular season it was so frustrating to watch the Sixers overhelp on his drives and you know when he's having poor scoring nights, because what really makes Boston good is that all those guys can punish you if you leave them open, right? But mm-hmm. if you're sending and if you're sending two guys at Tatum on the ball, he's a good enough playmaker. He'll find an open guy. Like he he used to be a, I would say a below average playmaker. Now he's pretty good in the sense that you give him an opening, he'll hit it. So you got to try to make him beat man coverage. And, you know, to his credit, he scores 39 as a really good game, but there stretches that game where other guys aren't touching the ball. I think Jalen Brown was on fire to start that game. He yeah. ended up taking 10 shots the entire game. Wow. That's, the, that's like their second like- best. That's their second yeah. best player. Yeah, like for him to go that yeah. whole game only taking 10 shots is crazy. And so that's that's a subplot to always keep in mind with them is are the rest of the guys getting their touches, getting their shots, and you know what happens there. Um, but back to your momentum point. I absolutely think this is something they can build on because, look, whether Joel plays next game or not, now these guys are confident we can go into their house and beat them. We didn't even play a complete game if you go yeah. down the roster. Like, Niang gave them nothing. McDaniels gives them nothing. They couldn't figure out how to play without Paul Reed on the floor. Maxie was not that good, too. Like, he just wasn't that good overall. Tyrese is up and down. Tobias is up and down. Like, that was not, like, a a great game. They got an unbelievable individual game from Harden. But they can play a much better team game. So, look, Boston's going to come back down to earth in some ways, clearly after that first half where they shoot – 17 to 20 yeah they started 17 to 20 to start the game and then i don't remember what they were shooting at halftime something well i actually ridiculous. wrote it down 
because I'm a big Sixers beat writer now. Uh, Celtics shot 71% from the field in the first half, 57% from three. And in the first quarter, it was 85% and 66%. Yeah. So look, man, yes, absolutely. This can be a momentum builder. You win game one on the road. You now do not have to win a road game the rest of the series if you take care of business at home. Wow, I didn't think about I, I'm, that. Good point. I'm not expecting them to win every home game. Like I, I think Boston is a good enough team that you say they will more than likely win one in Philadelphia's house. But you have now taken the pressure off of yourselves in game two. It's game two is found money. If you can win that game, you are in the absolute driver's seat for the series. If you don't, you still have home court. You take care of business at home. You go back to Boston for game five, up three to one, and you can potentially close it out, or you get another chance at home in game six. Yeah. Those are the stakes. Yeah. I mean, to, to your point, too, like I, I didn't think about that. Now, with on Tuesday, or sorry, Wednesday, when they play game two, it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do with Embiid in that game, because now I don't want to say it's found money, because ultimately you don't take anything for granted, right? You, you just don't. But one thing, too, when you talk about momentum with this team. Early on in the year, we were doing this pod. It was, well, they're 0-3 against the Celtics. And, man, they've lost so many games in a row. Now you can look at the last three, clearly the most meaningful three games, and say they beat him in one of them, they beat him tonight, and the game they lost at home, Tatum hit a game-winning three at the buzzer, and they you know, played really well in that game. So uh, a narrative that was this team can't beat the Celtics, this team really struggles against them, has now completely flipped. Like the Sixers are the team that are outplaying the Celtics. The Sixers are the team that if you're a Celtics fan or a Celtics reporter, whatever, you're leaving the stadium tonight or talking to the players and asking, maybe this is a tough matchup for them because they didn't have Embiid. They didn't get a great uh, Tyrese game. And as I just said, and let's like kind of end on this, they did not have Joel Embiid tonight, right? So I'm curious, uh, you know, for game two, but also, unless you do you have anything else about the game itself before we move to Joel? No, we can move to no. Joel. Okay. So, Joel, obviously ruled out. Um, we were texting before the game, us and producer James. You know, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? I talked myself into the fact he was going to play. But in reality, a lot of the news over the last 24 hours has not been great, right? Uh, you know, we now know it's more than a grade, uh, grade one. Um, sprain, right? It's it's maybe it's in that two, if not closer to that three. He hasn't run yet. Um, there was some reporting, and you know it'll be optimistic he would play in game two. Um, I'm curious where you're at with Joel. What are you hearing? And just since we've last recorded, and really all the news of the past 24 hours, how are you feeling about his injury? I'm just gonna say there are so many different people reporting stuff on Joel at this point that oh and look at this Joel's hoodie was <laughs> crucial to tonight's victory. Shout oh, out JG3. Yeah. That's a uh at first I was like, what in the world is going up on our screen? But yes, Joel, <laughs> there was a moment where he ran off the bench today and I was like, yo, get back on the bench. Because it God was when uh it's when PJ, it was, accident, yeah, PJ accidentally ball tapped Jason Tatum. And yeah, I had somebody in my Twitter mentions, by the way, who was like accidental no way lol it's like bro <laughs> well, he's screaming at somebody on like his teammates and just like threw his arm yes. back that's clearly it was definitely accidental. Ac definitely accidental but i will say he does swing his arm back so it, it's a purposeful swing he just doesn't see that uh that tatum's coming down the line but anyway uh, back to joel so anyway so i mean skip bayless is reporting stuff on joel like come on man I, i'm not <laughs> even gonna try to pretend if i know that he's gonna play or the exact state of his knee. Here's what I would say. The phrase found money has come up multiple times. 
where I don't think it's found money is you don't get cute and say, well, we're going to try to save him. If mm-hmm. he is ready to play and he says, I'm going to play, he comes back and plays because we can all sit here and say Sixers are on the victory tour right now and all that stuff. James Harden's probably not going to give you 45 again. No, I don't think so. Like, and that's not disrespect, disrespecting Harden, but that is like an all-time Sixers playoff performance right there. I'm not expecting that in game yep. two. To beat them in game two, you're more than likely going to need more from the other guys and, frankly, to have your best player available to shoulder the load, to beat up on Al Horford in a different way for the second straight game. So if he's ready to go, I am not in any sort of frame of mind to say you rest them and you you bring them back for game three. Because honestly, another important thing is you get some game reps for him. You run him out there and you say, it's true. All right. He's got his conditioning back a little bit. And I know, I, I believe Brian Windhorst was on the broadcast or on sports center earlier, right after the Embiid news came out. And he said, part of the reason Joel went through a workout today or like a relatively intense workout yeah. is because they want to see how he feels on Tuesday tomorrow as we're talking right now and so if he plays in game two and then feels awful between game two and game three and is essentially not able to play anymore if you saved him for game three and then he feels that on saturday and you go down two to one because you got cute and you thought oh it was you know found money whatever you get him back as soon as he's able and willing to go period now i don't know when that is I don't know if they'll agree with that philosophy, but to me, that is about as easy a decision as it gets. So I think I agree with you. Here would be my pushback is going into tonight's game. I was very much in the camp of, dude, you got to play. You got to push it. This year has to be different. If, if, if it's 50-50 and you had said this too, this is where it's worth taking that risk to make sure that you play, right? My only counter now after watching tonight, and you're right, don't get overly cute, don't get overly confident, is this team can beat the Celtics. Like, they can beat them. They're up 1-0. And so while I agree you don't get cute and you don't sit Embiid because of the logic that you're up 1-0, man, if, 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 Embiid, if, if I'm hearing and the doctors are telling me that if Embiid sits another three days, there can actually be a noticeable difference, I might do it because ultimately this team is good enough. We saw tonight this team is different. And while they might be able to go up 1-0 on the Celtics, they're probably not beating the Celtics without Embiid. Although after tonight, who knows? But they're probably or definitely not winning the NBA Finals without him. So while I think that there is a lot of truth in what you're saying, the win tonight does make me feel, man, if they can, if when Embiid comes back, he can he can be 20% better if by sitting out game two, you know, 20, 25, whatever. It's tempting. I'm not going to lie. It's tempting because this team knows how to win. And if you can get Joel back at 60%, 70% instead of 30%, that could be the difference between winning the NBA finals and and not. Get him back as soon as possible. Right, there it is. That's just, not, I, don't, I don't have any more to say on the subject other than that. That's All right, well, let me make my last Embiid point and then we'll wrap this up because I want to get it to the people and I want to go celebrate on Twitter. Um, so the win tonight, and uh, you know, remind me if I said this at the beginning when the adrenaline was really pumping, but the, the win tonight I thought for Embiid was a massive win because we talk so much about Joel's mental state. Where is he at? How is he feeling? In the game, is he into it? In between games, how, he, how is he feeling? What's his attitude about everything going on? 
And the quote I always think about is when Tatum made that game winning three and he said, story of my life, right? I thought tonight could be a moment where Joel could really look at himself and say, this might be different. So often when he's out, they lose. They fall behind 2 nothing. They they don't play well. And immediately when he comes back, it's that, well, we're down 2-0. Like, I have to be great right away. This is such a tough situation we're already in. If I'm Joel, and I think you saw it actually on his face throughout the game, in the first half, granted it's the first half, but he's subdued on the bench. He's just kind of hanging out. As the game goes on and he sensed like, oh my God, we might win this thing. He's up. He's, you know, there's people... Uh, you know, they show on the broadcast, he's talking to Harden, uh, who's about to sub in. Like, he was involved. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think them winning this game tonight for Joel is a massive moment because now he can sit here and go, oh, my God, this injury I'm dealing with that understandably would be mentally very taxing on him, right? Here we go again. I'm hurt again. This is what I've been waiting for. He there's a, There was a chance he could have got the MVP on Tuesday coming off of the Sixers losing a game where he didn't play, and that's dominating the narrative, right? And it's ruining his moment. Now Joel can can wake up tomorrow morning and be excited to get the MVP, to get excited about coming back. And I always say it, I'm an emotional guy, so I can sympathize with him. I think this is a really big morale boost for him moving forward of knowing not only when he comes back, will they either be you know 1-1 or whatever, but he can feel like they can win the series. So I thought for Joel's perspective, this was a massive win tonight. A couple things. One, ESPN stats and info. Great, great stat here I'm going to throw at you. All right. PJ Tucker just played the most minutes in the shot clock era without a single field goal or free throw attempt. Wow, that that's is, very PJ. I'm happy he has is, that record. That is maybe the most PJ Tucker performance is, yeah. in if the history not ben, of basketball. Ben or PJ, yeah. <laughs> um, number two, I agree with you. Because mm-hmm. if you think about what would have happened or what sort of podcast this would have been had they lost that game, yeah, we would be sitting here and saying, look, they got the vintage Harden game. They did all this. They did all that. And they still come up short. They just can't beat this team. The Celtics are, they're the boogie team. They always find a way to win. Doesn't have to be pretty. They can withstand the, the Harden barrage, whatever. And instead we're saying the Sixers stole home court. Joel didn't have to play. And now Joel might come back just a little bit healthier with a little bit better spirits and with a much better chance to win this series without even having to win another road game the rest of the way. Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, I was not in the camp of had they lost tonight, I was not gonna come on and go, well, it was close and Harden was great, and that's encouraging. It was a man, they blew it. Like they blew it had they lost that game. But Kyle, they didn't lose the game, they won the game. So we will now have a game two pod to look forward to, maybe another win, but at the very least, a day that started off with such kind of disappointment about Joel and such fear for this series. Sixers fans should wake up Tuesday morning, obviously listen to the pod, but feel really excited about this and and that this season can be different. And this could be the start of a ride that we all hoped we would go on, but didn't feel like was possible. And after tonight is certainly possible. So we will be back. And I want to, before I wrap this up, there's people in the comment section. I want to thank everybody that is listening right now. I want to thank everybody that sat through and watched me look all disheveled with my hair all messed up with Kyle. No slicked hair, man. What's what's well, happening? So this is the problem. When you always slick your hair back, the time you don't do it, you look 
extra disheveled. Everyone's like, are you like, what are you going through? I'm out of hairspray right now. I have to go buy some tomorrow morning. It's very upsetting, but it's all right. It's all right. Now that they won, I'll be excited to get up and get it in the morning. So, but as I said, thank you to everybody that's listening. Very much appreciate it. And I also want to say thank you for watching. You can find us, as I said, everywhere you get podcast apps. But the number one place is the free Odyssey app. You can download the app. You can turn on the auto download feature. So that as soon as these come out, they're right in your Odyssey app and they're right there so that you can listen to it about all these exciting wins. So get the Odyssey app. Keep watching. Clap your hands. Very much appreciate it. Kyle, I'll talk to you next time. Talk to you guys soon.